you know, we sang that song um, that, not the last song, but the one before that. And it's from David's. David's struggling right now. David's been struggling since this morning because, and I know this firsthand knowledge, because um, I was at Starbucks writing some of my notes and I see this uh, black Harley Davidson Ford drive up into the, uh, into the drive-thru. And there's not many of those, right? Especially not many that are 20 years old or however old that one is and still running strong. Um, great looking truck. And I know, I think that's Dave. And sure enough, I see him through the window. It's Dave. So I go up to the front of uh, the counter and I say, hey, this guy that's next to order is a good friend of mine. Whatever he orders, tell him you're out of it. And then I promise you I'll pay for it. And so I had talked to the guy briefly before that. So he's like, are you sure, man? What if he leaves? I said, there's a car behind him. He can't leave. So <laughs> Dave orders like a shake and espresso. And they're like, uh, we're out of that. <laughs> like, which means the only reason you go to Starbucks, they don't have the things you would go for. Um, and uh, so then Dave's next question was, I think, something along the lines of, do you have anything like that? <laughs> and the guy said, I don't know. Let me ask. <laughs> and then they said, oh, we're just messing with you. Ryan says hi. And so Dave got his shaken espresso. Um, so Dave's been struggling since then. Um but the thing I want to start with is just to talk a little bit about that song. It comes from, I believe, Psalm 51. I could be getting it wrong. Where David committed adultery, and he realizes he made this huge mistake. And he says, God, wash me white as snow, and I know I'll be clean before you. Um, so in the Old Testament, back in Leviticus, there's... Um, there's all these rules about things you should do. And one of them is, one, one passage is rules about things you should do if somebody has a skin infection. And it says the way that you'll know if this person is unclean or not is if their skin is red and, or if it's oozing or if it's, I mean, I could go on and on, but it's, it's pretty disgusting. If that person exists in the community, you should put them outside of the camp because this is... Um, contagious basically this person is unclean they're defiled and he says put them outside of the camp and if it should get to the point where their skin is no longer red or cracked or oozing but it's just kind of like like sort of like white and crusty then it's no longer contagious you can let them come back in and then that person should give a sacrifice and thank the lord that they've been made clean um, you see, when David says, wash me white as snow, and then I'll be clean before you, he's saying, look, I know the residue of this is going to stick with me. He's not saying white is clean, dark skin is not, just for those of you who in, the, in this room are not considered white folks. What he's saying is, if you wash me, you make me clean. Even if it lingers with me, I know I'm clean before you. I know I'm accepted before you. 
And that, that line of thinking, um, that, that's, what David, that's what David's saying. That's what we just sang. We're saying like, God, we know that we walk through this world carrying some stuff, but just continue to wash us and we know that we can stand before you. And we know that not only can we stand before you, we can represent you to this world, which was the verse that, that Kobe shared, that we would be your ambassadors to this world. Well, today in the lectionary, the, um, we already read two of the passages of Scripture um, from Psalm, Psalm, I believe it was Psalm 31. And then we also read from, uh, Kobe read from, let me just turn off my Wi-Fi. Okay. Kobe read from, from 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, the next uh, verse for the lectionary for today, this is the is this the third Sunday of Lent or the fourth? Somebody help me out. The fourth? Okay, fourth Sunday of Lent. And um, it is the story of the prodigal son. So we're going to read through this together. So Chris is going to put up Luke 15. Now in the lectionary, it's Luke 15, 1 through 3, and then it skips a bunch and goes to 11 through 30, 31. Um, this is because Jesus is, is standing with a group of people and it says, now tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. So tax collectors and sinners, these are the people that, this was like, this had become Jesus's crew. They, they, they had become, Jesus had become sort of magnetic to these people because he accepted them as they were. But also... There were some Pharisees and teachers of the law, and they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So in verse 3, it says, then Jesus told them this parable. And he begins to tell them three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. He tells these parables because he sees two groups of people standing together that are from the same family, if you will. They're, they're, they're brothers, and they don't even know it because, because stuff has come up in their heart, right? So Jesus tells them this parable of the lost sheep. Then he goes on. We're going to skip down. He, he tells them the parable of the lost coin. And then, and then when he realized that neither one of these really got their attention, I think, he tells them the parable of the lost son. And it, this is the parable that has stuck with many of us. So we're going to skip down. Go ahead and skip down to 11. And we're going to read this. I'm going to read this uh, out loud and read it together with me um, silently. All right. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, 
How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up. In another version it says, and he set out and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father cut him off, said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Bring a, uh, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called to one of his so he called one of his one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home. Your brother has your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Father, thank you for these words, these sacred texts. Thank you that they meant something then to those people in that audience, and they mean something today to us. And I pray that you would help us to bridge any gap between those so that we can truly take something from this time, from this reading about your character, about your heart, about, about, the, about the way we are as humans, and, um, and that we would leave with something today that sticks with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to uh, share a few thoughts. Um, Taylor, correct me if I'm wrong, but not here in front of people. For now, just nod and, and agree with me. Um, in, the, in the ancient, in, in the old definitions of, of words when it comes to theatrical words, um, there, was, there was really like two main types of, of theater plays. One was a comedy and one was a tragedy. A comedy, what we would think of today as a comedy, uh, is, is, is something that gets everybody laughing. But, but in, in Shakespeare's times... It just meant a story that has resolution. You know, the guy gets the girl, uh, the guy learns the lesson, the guy gets the gold, you know, the the recognition, whatever it is. 
um, a, a tragedy is, is the opposite of that. Um, and many of Shakespeare's plays were tragedies because he realized is that when you leave people hanging on a cliff, they have to walk away and decide the resolution for themselves. So we have Romeo and Juliet, right? Tragedy, tragedy. But the, the, the person who would have attended that play that uh, walked away from that play with that tragedy still weighing on their minds would have had to decide what kind of person am I going to be? This is kind of both. This story is a, it's a comedy for the younger son, right? The younger son has the full re- resolution of, of being accepted back into his family, put a, finger, uh, a ring back on his finger, a robe back on his back, and sandals back on his feet. The father accepts him back as his son. But for the older son, this is a tragedy because we don't know if, this, if the older son went back into that party. We're left kind of wondering, well, what happened? And I think the reason that Jesus left that cliffhanger was because he wanted these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, to walk away wondering what happened to this older son and, and what does it mean, what does it now mean for me as I reflect on this? This is kind of a, a unique story that's able to do that. Um, and Jesus often... You know, we, we sometimes, we have the benefit of hindsight. Jesus, you know, in that, in that scripture that you read, Kobe, it says that we no longer judge in a worldly way or according to the flesh. There's a lot of different ways that it's put. But basically means we no longer judge a book by its cover. Something that we say often. And Jesus had the benefit of being able to tap into the vision of God, to the eyes of God, to see in a group of people that they're all one and the same. They're all struggling with something. They all had some obstacle between them and communion with God, between them and communion with each other. And he would tell these stories to try to pierce through that obstacle to bring people into relationship with God and bring people into relationship with each other. Um, Another thought that I had was, you know, what, what's in a name? Speaking of, of Shakespeare, what's in a name? We, we often, you know, the Bible has these sort of like subtitles or subheadings, I guess you could call them, um, in passages. And the, the subheading that's, that's on this one, in many versions, is called the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, in some, it's called the parable of the lost son. I don't know any versions of this story that have it have the heading as the parable of the loving father, the parable of the accepting father, the parable of the forgiving father. But in actuality, that's what this story is about. We kind of have this sort of like, have anybody, have any of you seen uh, Frozen, Disney's Frozen? Don't watch it if you haven't. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It's a great one. Uh, so I asked my kids after we watched that, I said, who is the hero in this story? And they were like, Elsa. She had these powers and she could do all these things and she was so strong. But in actuality, the first Frozen, I think, I think it flopped in developing these characters because the true hero of that first movie was Anna, the younger sister, who 
kind of like bumbled her way through life and found herself and 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 finding herself helped her sister to find herself as well um so you kind of have that that going where it's like um what's this story actually about and to be honest with you whatever you think this story is about um it might be it might just be us scapegoating the thing that it's actually about for us. So I, I kind of imagined this morning that like maybe maybe the early translators read this story and they were like, man, that, that uh, older brother hits a little too close to home. Let's call this the parable of the, of the prodigal son, of the, of the lost son. Let's put the focus on the, on the uh, younger son. Um, and, and I say all that to say that sometimes headings in Bibles can immediately put um, a perspective shift on us. And, and don't let the headings or, you know, maybe what you heard taught about a passage, don't let that um, shift your perspective so far that you, you can't get... Um, you can't get some some gold out of out of a story. That was that was my second thought that I had. My third thought was about a GIF. And I say GIF because the first time somebody sent me a GIF, it was a video that just played and looped, but there was no sound. So I texted my friend back. And I said, hey, man, something's wrong with that video. What are they saying? And he goes, no, no, there's no sound. It's a GIF. Or no, no, he said, um, no, no, it's, wait, just wait, just wait, just wait for it. I got the microphone. <laughs> um, so I tell him, there's something wrong with this video. The sound won't play. And he goes, no, it's a GIF. And I said, I looked at it, and I thought, maybe he misspelled gift. And I said, well, thanks, but the sound still doesn't work. <laughs> he says, Google what a gif is. So I had to Google what a gif was, and I found out that sometimes, oftentimes, most of the time, a gif doesn't have sound. But there's one gif that I found that um, th this guy, this guy is... I think walking down a road. Next to the road is a is a is a long uh, trench that's been dug, and I think what they're going to do is lay a pipeline in that trench next to the road. But before they were able to lay the pipeline and cover it up with dirt, a goat got stuck in that pipeline. And this this guy who's walking sees what's happened, and he goes up and he he kind of struggles a little bit with his goat, grabs its back legs and helps it out. And that goat is immediately so thankful to be out that it bounds two or three times and right back in to the trench. Probably a little deeper than he had been in the first place. Um, and then the, get, the title of the gif is something like me, also me. Right? Like me stuck in the trench, somebody comes to help me, also me, back in the trench. And that is kind of human nature, isn't it? Like we can get unstuck from something and find ourselves right back in it. Um, so 
I, I mentioned this gift the other day to, to Jordan because he's doing the shepherding thing. And I said, you need to talk about how like shepherding isn't like somebody with, with the staff and all the answers, you know. Shepherding is like me, also me, right? Like I'm going to give you some things that I've learned, but like also I glean from you when we're in a group. Me, also me. Well, in this story, I see me as the younger son and also me as the older son. Like, for example, as the younger son, um, I see the times that, like, uh, like I grew up in church. I grew up knowing the truth. I grew up learning Bible verses and scriptures and um, songs. And I grew up with experiences that, you know, like, I, I grew up in a way that I knew God. But then when I hit about 14 or 15, 16, like I started to sort of like distance myself from it. And for several years, um, it's not that I didn't want to have anything to do with God, but I just kind of got, I don't know, maybe disenchanted with it all for a little while. So um, I went the other way for a while and ended up running my life into the ground at times. And so in this story, I see that. I see that me in the younger son, squandering wealth on wild living. And, and, and eventually coming to my senses and coming back to the Lord and finding acceptance and forgiveness and restoration. Um, but I also see me as the older brother. Um, I see how I've, I've judged things in my heart according to, you know, I've judged the book by its cover at times. I've seen how I have, um, you know, I've seen how I've, I've gotten frustrated with people. I remember my mom one time, we, uh, we were talking about something and she goes, you know, um, a lot of times the thing that you get free from is the first thing that you start to judge in others. And she gave this example, um, about smoking, she said, I, I didn't ask you if I could share this. <laughs> well, can I, can I tell my friends a story about how I used to smoke? Okay. Um, I love you, Mom. You know, back in the day, it wasn't wrong, right? People used to smoke on planes. So don't judge her according to today's standards. Everybody was doing it. Everybody was doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, so she finally got free from that. And she said she noticed after a while that she had become judgmental towards other people that smoke. Like, why do they do that? You know? A lot of times the thing that we find freedom from, the thing that we find forgiveness from, is the first thing that we notice in others. And the reason for that is because we are now supposed to be um, ambassadors, carriers of the message of reconciliation from God. But instead, sometimes we lean into that older brother and we become that, con uh, that one that's full of condemnation, that's full of judgment, that lacks compassion. And so when I say me, also me, it's like I need to, I need to remember. Here, here's the thing I, that I think I thought of is that like when you recognize the cycle, you can break it. 
right? We know that. So recognizing the cycle for me is just like, okay, here's a rut. I don't want to fall into it again. I need to recognize that I have the chance to fall into it, that I have um, a proclivity to fall into it if I'm not careful. And so just knowing that can kind of like give you softer eyes, we could say. I remember um, listening to this guy. He was an evolutionist, and he was talking about, now I don't, I don't necessarily agree with what he was saying, but it was interesting what he was talking about. He was saying that we, we humans, we evolved from animals and that at one time we, we were reptiles and we, and we um, so reptile eyes, he started talking about reptile eyes, lack perception when the reptile is scared or angry. All the reptile eyes can do is kind of like focus on where to go. So that's kind of like let me get away from here, or let me fight. So that's kind of like he was explaining the reptile eye. And what he said was that even though we've evolved, we still have the tendency to fall back into viewing through reptile eyes. Now, whether or not you agree with evolution, or whether you, you think any of that's true, um, you can probably agree with me that you have at one time looked through some reptile eyes. I mean, like, I can, I, there have been times when I've been having an argument with Randy, and like, I, I think a thought, and I'm like, no, I shouldn't say that. And then I say it, and then I go, I didn't even mean that. And then you try to walk that back, right? No, I didn't mean that. Well, why'd you say it? Because I wasn't thinking. Well, you say the truest things when you're not thinking. <sighs> no. <laughs> that's, that's, I guess, an example of, of the whole reptile eye theory. Well, I mean, we have, to, we have to have those softer eyes. We have to remind ourselves that actually, like what, what's the old saying? Um, but for the grace of God, go I, right? Like if it wasn't for God's grace, I'd be in the same situation. So anybody you see that is in a, um, you know, in any situation that's difficult, as pathetic as it may be, we can choose to say, but for the grace of God, go I. Um, I've gotten better at this. And um, to illustrate this, I actually wrote a parable, um, and this is called the parable of the older brother. And uh, there are aspects of this, most aspects of this are true, um, but I just want to read this to you, and um, I think I want to sit down while I do it. Let me just kind of shift some things. And, uh, okay, this is called the parable of the older brother. There was, there was a certain man who had two brothers and two sisters. He was the second child in the group, but of his mother's children, of his mother's four children, he was the oldest. 
Their father was an amazing man. He had the mind of an inventor and could repair or build seemingly anything. Well built and strong, he could probably beat up your dad. But he never would have because he also was incredibly compassionate. In fact, in the days before cell phones became available to the common folk, he he often stopped to help stranded motorists. One day, their father was diagnosed with brain cancer, and he began to wither into an incapable shell of the man he had once been, and eventually he died. This hurt the family deeply. The older son felt a new sense of responsibility for his widowed mother and siblings, but recently married and with a child on the way, it was just too much for him to bear, so he took his wife and their baby and ran away to Thailand quickly buried himself in the ministry of helping others. His older half-sister opened a salon and also buried herself in her work. The younger brother, who'd always been a fighter, and a great one at that, lost his will to fight. The younger sister began taking anything she could in order to numb the pain she felt. Now, his youngest brother, the baby of the family, had always been a wanderer, albeit within the limitations placed on him by their father. He went on a walk, and he didn't come home that night or the next or the next. When the man found out, he wished his youngest brother would come home. But after days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months, he began to resent the youngster for the pain that his wanderings caused their mother. After some years, the young man's brother, after some years, the man's younger brother came to his senses and longed to be back home. He took a job at a car wash and began saving money for a bus ticket to get home. Tragically, before his savings goal was met, he was murdered. The older brother was immediately filled with regret because he had let so much time lapse since his last contact with his baby brother. In fact, he felt somewhat responsible for the tragedy because of the innumerable opportunities that he could have, should have, and with hindsight now surely would have taken to reach out to his brother with the same kindness, the same kind of compassion that their father had once so strongly demonstrated. Late one night, the older brother was the only one awake in his house and was sitting on the couch when he had a vision. In the vision, he suddenly felt the fear, confusion, and the terror that his baby brother felt in the last moments of his life. And then suddenly, it all vanished. And all he could feel now was the love of God in a strong embrace. It was warm and zen-like, full of healing and understanding. It was perfect love. And it had, indeed, driven out all fear. The older brother, the older the older brother realized that this must have been God giving him a glimpse of his baby brother's last moments in this life and the first moments in the life to come. Then a thought came to the older brother. It came from somewhere deep, deep down, yet simultaneously from the source of this love. I don't condemn you for the opportunities you didn't take. I'm proud of you for every single opportunity that you did take with him. You see, I said, I've been getting a little bit better at this. 
And um, the truth is, it's because of uh, a place of deep, deep pain. I can remember having this conversation with my grandmother after my brother had had left. And she said something about the prodigal son and, and that story. And I said, I said, well, I remember I said this so cold. I said, well, he's not the prodigal son yet because he hasn't come to his senses and repented. You see, that's what I was waiting for. But aren't you glad that God isn't just sitting back waiting for you to get your stuff in order to get to a place of repentance and to make your way groveling back to him like he in this in the story we read the father was apparently looking for the young son while while he was doing anything it seems like because he noticed him while he was far away and how do you notice someone that doesn't look like the son that left when, when returning? Unless you had been looking for that person. You had been watching for that person. And man, that's what God does. In the first two parables that we didn't read, the, the parable of the lost son, I'm sorry, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of, of the lost coin, the one who lost the thing of great wealth searched and searched with intense, with intense searching. Until, until they found what they were looking for. And that is what God does. God searches and he goes and he goes and he goes until he finds what he's looking for. And if we will remind ourselves of this story every now and then, it'll help us with 2 Corinthians, 2, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, what, what Kobe read, which is basically not judging a book by its cover, understanding that if we look a little deeper, we'll see the value of a human inside of whatever outward appearance is going on. And we'll be able to carry the, mex the message of reconciliation as Christ's ambassadors. And then it says this, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 